I'm going to be talking about something uh, this morning that it took me many years to figure out for myself. And it's one of those things, though, that when I finally understood it, it changed the way that I interacted with God and even other people. 25 years ago, one of my mentors taught this foundational concept, and I just, I cannot improve on this at all. I'm going to do my best to present it to you the way it was taught to me. I'm simply going to try to tell you these truths as it was taught to me. You know, the great thing about being a follower of Jesus is this. It's not really about the things that are happening on the outside here around me. It's what goes on inside of us as a Christ follower. And so for me and my personal experience and all of this, uh, it's kind of unexplainable because it's not what happens around me. It's what happens inside of me. But everything in my life has been about the things happening around me, the things I can see, the things I do that I can see, all of those happenings. But in this spiritual world, if you are following Jesus, it's not about the things happening around you, but the things happening inside of you. And my brain just doesn't know what to do with that. Maybe today you're one of the people that we'll just say are kind of on this far side over here. Maybe, maybe you're on one end of the field. Maybe you don't really like going to church. That going to church for you is kind of like a, a big megaphone, and it just continues to le- yell at you. Hey, every time you go, hey, listen, you get this. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Hey, you're doing it wrong. And you don't need someone to shout at you that you're doing it wrong. If you're anything like me, you know why? Because you know you're doing it wrong. I know that about myself. Now. Now, why would I need to get all dressed up or, or to, to come into a building where I know that they're going to tell me I'm doing it wrong? I already know that. I'm aware of that. And maybe that's why you don't like going to church, because you don't want to be reminded of that over and over and over and over again, that you're doing it wrong. And yet in your mind and heart, you know that there's a God and you know this God has some rules and standards and you're thinking, but I'm not doing very good with these rules and standards. So why go to church where they would tell you and remind you you're doing it wrong? Why would you leave the lake on Saturday to come home so you can walk into a church on Sunday? Why would you show up for that? Why? Because we already know that we're doing it wrong. And maybe that's one reason we don't like to go to church. And even beyond that, maybe maybe there was a season in your life where you just knew, you knew, I, I, I need to do better. I know God has these standards. I know there's these rules from somewhere. And so maybe you tried to improve. Maybe you tried to clean up your life or you tried to get out of some bad relationships that were hurting you. Maybe you were trying to break some habits, huh? I'm going to try to correct that. Maybe you were trying to break some habits. Maybe you tried really, really hard to get things right in your life, but you fell flat on your face. And so the last thing you need is some Bible thumper in a suit looking at you, looking for the specific verse that is going to make you feel just so guilty that you'll change your life. Maybe that's the way you feel about church. Maybe that's the way you feel about God and this whole church and church people thing. In fact, you maybe just feel kind of condemned by church and church people. And so maybe you didn't even really want to be here today or you didn't want to listen online today, but somebody begged you and begged you to please do it, please do it. And just to get them off your back, you said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it this once. 
but it's really not an enjoyable experience because normally it's just a reminder that you're doing it wrong. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're kind of more in the middle of the field. Maybe you look over here on one side and you see all these evil people because you read about them in the, on Facebook links, all these people who have been arrested and arrested and arrested, and you're like, hey, I'm not that bad. But then you look on this other side and you know about the Pope, and you say, but I'm not as good as the Pope. So you say, I'm just kind of here in the middle. But maybe, maybe the middle's okay because maybe, you know, God likes the middle, doesn't he? We think prob- probably God likes the middle because, look, there's a whole lot of other people that are a lot worse than me. So maybe I can just kind of hang out here in the middle and I'll be okay. And besides that, you know, we've been around Christians before and we don't want to be like them. I mean, you've seen their kids and you don't want your kids to act like their kids. And and you've seen uh, even behind the scenes of some of their marriages and you're like, I don't want that. And so you say, if that is all that church is creating is those sorts of people, then who needs church? So we think to ourselves, I'll just kind of hang out here in the middle and do my best. I mean, after all, if God lets in the A people, the grade A people, the Bs, and maybe even the Cs, then I'm probably okay because I'm a C or a C minus. And if all he cuts out are the D people and the F people, then I'm probably okay. Because maybe God kind of grades on a curve and maybe I can kind of slide in that way. I'll be okay as a C, C minus. Now, there's another group of people, not in the middle. They're way over here on this other side. And in fact, many of these people are already Christians, but they feel shut out by God. They feel shut out by God, maybe alienated, maybe condemned because of what happened last night in their life or what happened last weekend or last month. Or maybe it's something that's been going on a long, long, long time, but they've got this great big sin thing and it's going on and they don't really know what to do about it, but they know something has to be done because they think even to themselves, I got to do better. I got to do better. I know I shouldn't and I ought to do this and I shouldn't do that. And they sort of feel distant or maybe even abandoned or shut out from God. And if that's us, in order for us to get connected with God or reconnected with God, we know we've got to deal with this behavior, this thing that we've been dealing with. But maybe we're not ready to deal with it. I mean, because at this point, maybe it's still kind of fun because the consequences haven't yet really set in. And so we're just kind of putting off dealing with this and dealing with God because we know ultimately if we're going to deal with God, we got to deal with this behavior. So we just kind of feel like we'll just put that and God on the back burner for a while and we'll deal with it later. And so for now, we just kind of feel shut off from God. I want to say this to all of us. I really believe that if Jesus were here physically right now, in his body, that if he were here, he would, and we had all categories of these people I've just talked about in this room, and Jesus were addressing you based upon what I understand in the new covenant about Jesus, I do believe that he would say some very specific things to us. 
So if we're in the category that says, oh, really, I, I, I know I'm doing it wrong. I know I'm doing it wrong. I don't need you to make me feel any more guilty. Or we're in the middle where we say, hey, there's a whole lot more worse people than me. I know I'm not the Pope, but I'm okay in the middle. Or the person who's dealing with that big, big sin, and they're like, I feel shut off with God, but I'm not ready to deal with it yet. I think that Jesus would stand here based upon what I've seen in the new covenant, and he would say this. I think he would say, well, you know, you know, that's the problem. That's the problem with religion. That's the whole problem with religion. What you are feeling about me, I think Jesus would say this, that's the problem with religion. Because you've got this idea of what religion requires and this idea of what religion would require if you're going to have a relationship with me. And it has created, religion has created in your lives all of these bad feelings about me. He says, that's the whole problem with religion. It just kind of muddies up the whole thing. That's the problem with religion. Now, back to us. You see, what religion is, religion is my attempt to kind of work my way into a relationship with God. You see, religion is, we've got all these rules here, all of these rules that we know we need to abide by, we know we need to do. And if I can get it right or get most of them right or get enough of those rules right, then surrender to them, commit to them, recommit to them, make another recommitment to them. If I can get it just right, then I believe I could be among those A, B, C, C plus or C minus people. Somehow, we believe my deeds, my actions are going to earn me kind of some kind of end position with God. Somehow, I'm going to get in with God by doing the right things. But there's a problem with that. You know what it is? Most of us have kind of made up the rules that we're following. I mean, we sort of come up with this standard on our own, and we think these are the things that God is looking for, and so we just assume that that is his standard, and then we go for it. You know what, if we were to survey every one of us in this room and everyone online and we ask this question, what are the five things that God is really looking for in order for you to have a relationship with him? Do you realize none of our five things would line up exactly with everyone else's? They would all be different. We don't know what the standard is. We don't know what those most important rules are. But we're sure of one thing. There are rules, and if we are not going to follow them, God's going to say, you're out. So most of us make up the rules that we choose to follow, the ones that we think God is going to look at the most. But there's another problem with this whole thing. You know, we've... we've we get this uh, other group of rules kind of from, from church. And, and if you grew up in church, we've got the Bible full of rules rattling around in our mind, all the thou shalt nots and thou shalts and all that sort of stuff. And then we add to that, to complicate it even more, we add to that all the things that our parents told us. You know, never, never, never do this. Always, always, always do that. That's in there. Good boys never do this. Good girls don't do this. And we have all of these things, all these rules from all different kind of places mixed in together. And you know how we handle them? Here's our response. 
So we have all of this conglomeration of rules, and then we begin to prioritize them based upon what we think is important to God. So we prioritize them. Now, here's how we prioritize them. Usually, all the rules that I'm good at, those are the ones that I feel like are important to God. Now, those rules that I'm not so good at, the ones that I have trouble keeping or I have trouble following, then those are the rules that we say, oh, those aren't quite as important to God. I mean, God really hates men who cheat on their wives, right? God's really angry about that, but he's probably not so concerned with how men are disrespectful to their wives. He's not as concerned with that. Much more concerned about the cheaters, right? So we kind of prioritize them based upon the ones that we're kind of good at, and we kind of leave off the ones that we're not. That's how we handle the rules. So in order to keep in tight with God, we have to keep those rules, especially the important ones, but we don't have a clue what they are from God's perspective. We don't know the order that the rules should be in. We don't know the priority. We can't agree on it. And so we just even do away with the ones that we really don't even like. So why? Because I'm just not good at that particular rule. My mentor says this. Here's the point. If rules are the route to God, or if we're a Christian and we know that we can't keep the rules to be saved, but for somehow for us to stay tight with God, if it has to do with keeping the rules as our way to get in or stay in good with God, or at least to get him to the point where maybe it's more than he just loves the world, but he really likes you and wants to be your friend, And if that route involves rules, then we are in a world of trouble because not two of us can agree on what the rules are and not two of us can agree on what the priority is and we change them all the time if we're not good at them. Another thing about focusing on rules, eventually we're going to use those rules to hurt other people in our attempt to be right with God. I mean, eventually we pick out the rules that we think are God's favorite and we use those to judge other people around us. If our whole perspective on this Christian life thing, whether you're a Christian or not, if it is this perspective that God judges where we stand with him based upon how well we keep these rules and if we can even figure them out, eventually we will use those rules And we will hold on to the rules tighter than we hold on to the people around us. We hear about it all the time. We hear about somebody who's made a bad choice. And guess what? That church, a particular church, has a particular list of rules for them. And they drag that person in front of the church. And they say, okay, if you want to be right with God and right with us, you're going to have to stand up here and let us shame you for a while. If you want to be a part of us, this is what it's going to take. And so they pull them in front of everybody, and somehow the church got together and say, these are the most important rules. These are the ones that count. And they say, and God expects us to hold everybody accountable to those, so we need to act. We need to act on our convictions, and we need to do something about this. And so we're looking from the outside at them, and we're saying, whoa, what is going on? Okay, okay, yes, they blew it. But what about that mess in your life and that sin in your life? Because, hey, this ain't no big town, ain't no big town, and I know some things about you. What about those? Well, here's the truth. 
if someone were to follow me long enough or follow you long enough and watch the way you live and the way you interact with these rules, I'm afraid that they would find eventually that we are doing the same thing with our list of rules. That if our route to God involves rules, eventually we will use those rules to be insensitive to other people. And you know what I think that Jesus would say about that. That's the problem with this whole system. That's the problem with religion. Religion and authentic relationships, they are at opposite ends. Religion and unconditional love, they are at opposite ends. The two just don't mix. They don't come together. And anytime you interject a rule orientation, you rule out authentic relationship or you rule out unconditional love. They just don't mix. We know this personally, don't we, from our own human relationships. Think about the relationships you're in. Here's one I'm going to give you, you know, your uh, performance at work. Your performance is what secures you your job. I mean, if you don't perform at work, if you don't do your job completely, unless you own the company or you're like in tight with the boss, then you, if you don't cut it, you're out, right? Nobody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I know you haven't showed up on time for a year, and I know you leave two hours early every single day, but yeah, we really enjoy your company. I mean, we're so glad you're here. You're just great. You know, we love having you. We're glad you're here. No, if you don't perform, if you're out. Yes, everybody's nice to each other face-to-face, and they're all talking in the break room and saying hello and saying hi, but you know the bottom line. If you don't do your job, you are out, and there's an element of insecurity in that relationship. Some of you grew up with parents like that. I mean, you were laying in bed as a teenager at night thinking, you know, if I don't get my act together, they're going to kick me out. And you were struggling with that. You remember living in that sense of condemnation, of not knowing if you could do it right, and and even if you could, if you could do enough of it right in order to be able to make that relationship work. Is there a possibility that even in that family you felt a little emotionally shut out? Even if they didn't kick you out or throw you out, you felt emotionally a distant, alienated, condemned? Why? Because we know that we had to perform. And that's the nature of performance-based relationships. Your job, you got to perform. Your family, let's meet the standard. Sports, you better play great. At school, get the grades. Your marriage, do everything right. And as a result, the end is we feel insecure. Because if I don't measure up, I'm out with that relationship. The result, rules, a rule rule orientation destroys deep relationship. And that's what happens when you bring rules into that. If we have to meet certain conditions before we can have the relationship, certain standards before we can have the relationship, it destroys genuine relationship. Rules overwhelm unconditional And my friends, if you're Christian, or even if you're not, 
when we have that kind of thinking that enters into our minds as we think about God, then we must go ahead and just consider ourselves condemned, consider ourselves out, consider ourselves insecure. We are alienated. And we know it's true because most of us have thought about God that way. And that means we feel worlds apart from God. Because if the reality is that God has standards and rules and we know that in our heart we're not measuring up, then we are out. And for any of us, if the path to closeness with God is about getting it right every time, even the people who say, I'm a little better than those, I'm kind of here in the middle, even those who say, I don't break all the rules, just a few. Surely he's going to let me in on some kind of graded curve. We know we're still out. And that's why when, when this was taught 25 years ago, and what I'm passing on to you today, when I understood this, my life changed. And that's why we're talking about it this week. And over the next several weeks here in Stuttgart, we're going to be talking about some more things related to this. It is foundational. It is foundational to our walk with God as we follow Jesus. And what you're going to discover, I believe, like I did, even those of you who have been following Jesus for a long, long, long time, often we got that journey started with faith in Christ alone, but somehow we have drifted back into a performance-based relationship with God. We got with God because we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't measure up, and we knew it. We knew that, but then we began to drift back to this thinking, now I have to measure up, or I can't continue this relationship with God. He'll dump me. He'll drop me. He'll walk away. No wonder we think that way, though, because every other relationship in our life is grading our performance in that relationship. And if we don't make the grade, then we are out. We're either out of a marriage or we're out of a job or out of a friendship or out of a family or at the very least, we're just shut out emotionally. And we know that there is no security in that kind of relationship at all. So there's something out there better and we want that and we feel like in order to get it, we have to deserve it. We feel like anything given to us good that we must do something to earn that or to deserve it or to be worthy of it. And then we look at God and we say, you know, God must be the same way. That must be how it is with God as well. And here's the great, 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 great news about following Jesus. It is this, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, if you've been daydreaming, if I put you to sleep already this early, it could happen. <laughs> if I've done that, I want you to wait, come back in here with me for a moment. If you're, think, if you're thinking about the cafe and the popcorn, and wow, that's some delicious popcorn. I really need to give me some more of that. Come back in here with me for just a moment. I want you to hear this. Hear this. That system that says if you perform, you're in, and if you don't perform, you're out. That whole system finds its, uh, its nature in the heart of man, not God. 
It is not found within the nature and the heart of God. If I'm good enough, I make it. I perform, and my value and my worth is wrapped up in my performance. That is found in the nature and the heart of man. It is not found in the heart of God. And this library books uh, that have been compiled, an entire library of books compiled and, and placed together in what we call the New Testament or the New Covenant, that tells us an entirely different picture of God. But, you know, that's the good news. The good news about following Jesus, your heavenly Father operates off of a completely different system, not the system we have grown up with. That is great news. Now, I want you to look at three verses with me today. That's all we're going to look at is three verses, and I'm going to show you what Jesus has to say about this whole religion thing. We're going to start. It's in the book of Romans, and it's chapter 8, verse 1. Dustin's going to have it on the screen for you. It says, so now, and that means right now, even this moment, right now, even thousands of years later after this was written, right now, I'm saying this to you right now, so now there is no, none, nada, zilch, not any condemnation for those who are really doing their best and knocking it out of the park. No, that's not what it says, but that's how we live. We say there's no condemnation for those who have really committed to doing their best. There's no condemnation for those who are not giving up, for those who are doing their best, giving it their best shot at living God's standard. There's no condemnation for those who come to the place in their life where they realize nobody's perfect, and so I've just got to do the best that I can, and somehow God's going to let me in grading on a curve. That's not what it says. There is no condemnation, here's what the verse says, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's what the verse says. Period. That's it. And that's unbelievable, you know? Do you know what that means? It means that when you become a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, it is not about doing better than somebody else. It's not about becoming this thing of keeping these standards. No, 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 no. Becoming a Christ follower starts in a moment of time. It's not a lifestyle that you live up to in order to get it is a moment of time when you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. And in that moment, you become non-condemnable. You become inseparable from God. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are so tight with God from God's perspective. You're so tight with God, so tight with God, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can come between you, starting at that moment. You're so tight, nothing can separate you, not even your sin. That's what it means to be non-condemnable. I want to give you a definition of condemn. Dustin will have it on the screen for you. Look at the screen. 
To condemn is to pronounce an unfavorable or adverse judgment on. That can't happen to you if you're a follower of Jesus. To express strong disapproval. Many of us feel like that we have been, uh, according to God, just disapproved. He's up there just saying, oh, I disapprove, I disapprove, I disapprove. Once you become a follower of Jesus, you are non-disapprovable. God doesn't disapprove of you when you become a follower of Jesus. Now we say, but, but Harley, I, I did this. And you give me an example. Okay, okay. So we did really something wrong, and we know it was wrong. Yes, it was wrong. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But as soon as I say, but I did this, you know what we're doing? We're reverting back to the old system we grew up in, the system that says, but since I've done this, then God must think this about me. And since I've done that, then he must feel this way about me. And God's going, no, 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 that's wrong. That's the wrong system. The issue is not what you did. The issue is, are you in Christ? That's the issue. And if you are in Christ, you are uncondemnable. It means you no longer will be cut out or sentenced to punishment. You will no longer be pronounced guilty or declared incurable. So maybe you struggle with something really bad. And maybe you don't just struggle with it. Maybe you are in it and you have fallen deep into something really bad. And maybe it's something that through your life you have been in and then out of and in and out of. And right now you're just in. And you know what? You feel incurable. And maybe you don't know another Christ follower who is struggling with that same sin that you're struggling with. And maybe you feel like if every other Christian knew about this, that you would somehow in their eyes be thought of as incurable because there's something you think uniquely wrong with you because you struggle with that specific temptation. And the result of it all is you're just out. But I want you to know this. If you have handed your life over to the care and the control of Jesus, you're as in as I am. You are as in as Billy Graham is in. You're as in as Mother Teresa is in. Because it's not about what you did. It's not about what you're doing. It's not about what you're thinking about doing after you leave here today. We hear that and we think, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, Harley, come on now. You're getting a little deep there. You're going on a little extreme with this. And you know why it is that we think that way? Because as long as we think in terms of somehow what I'm doing impacts or determines my relationship with God, as long as that system is in our mind, then we are going to draw a line and say, okay, Harley, I'll go with you. But if you cross this sin line, well, there's no hope then. If you cross this one, you're out. So Harley, you mean to tell me there's no condemnation even if I kill somebody? Well, according to God's word, yeah, even if you kill somebody. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, what about this sin, Harley? This one's really bad. I've heard about this one. What if somebody does this? You see what we're doing? 
This is so foreign to us. This is so strange, so abnormal that those who have been a Christian a long time, we get kind of antsy when we talk about this. It bothers us. And the reason is this. For many of us, we were saved by grace, saved by faith, putting our trust in Jesus. And the next day, we began to revert back to the old system. Okay, God, now that you've saved me, I know you've got all these commands, all these rules, and I've got these do's and these don'ts, all these things put together. And I I, I know what you must think about me if I'm not doing those. I, I know that this determines on how you view me and how you see me. And by the way, Jesus, man, that girl over there, she's really blowing it, isn't she? And that guy over there, you know what he's doing? And we begin to judge not only ourselves, but everybody else around us by those rules. And we don't even know many of them, if they're right, what the order should be. We don't know But that's what we use, and it's the old system that we revert back to. And Paul is writing, actually, that what we just read, he's writing to Christ followers. Christ followers. And he says, listen, I don't care what you have done. And you know, he's talking to Romans. And listen, read history. Those Romans, they did a lot. I mean, they were deep in it. All kinds of stuff. And Paul's saying, I don't care what you've done. And he didn't even know most of these people. He had never met most of these people he was writing to, never laid eyes on most of these people. And yet he says, listen, if you're a Christian, there is no condemnation, period. If you are in Christ, sin has lost its power to separate you relationally, you and your heavenly Father. And when we sin... God doesn't run away from us. He doesn't turn his back. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, I didn't see that one coming. Because if we're in Christ, we are in. And my friends, that is awesome news. Look what he says next. He kind of begins to explain this and break it down and clears up some of the confusion. Verse 2, and because you belong to him, the power, some translations say law, the law of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power or the law of sin that leads to death. He's talking about two things, two systems. Here's what he's saying. You and I were born into that system of the, that power that is law and death. That's the system that says you have to get it right to be in a relationship. We were born into that very powerful system that I have to perform. I have to do this and not do that. That's what we were born into. And it is a system and it's called the power, the system of sin and death. It is a cause and effect system. I sin, I die. I blow it, I'm out. And he says, we're all born into that system. And God gives us some rules. The Bible gives us some rules. Our parents give us some rules. We make up some other rules. And we know God is out there somewhere watching us. And if we are going to get in with God, he's watching. We have to keep trying to keep all of those rules. And Paul is saying, yes, that is a very real system. It really does exist. We're not making it up. It is a real system. It exists. But he says, I've got some good news for you. The reason you're not condemned is because God has introduced a brand new system, and it is called the spirit of life 
in Christ. And this system is different from the old system. There is no connection between the two. They do not overlap at all. Because the new system, it is over here. The old system is still there. The old system is based upon what you do. The old system is based upon what you do not do and how well you do. The new system, you're just in. Because of what he has already done. Because of what he did. The old system is what I do. The new system is what he did. It is a completely different system. And Paul is saying that even though both of those systems are active at the very same time and they're operating simultaneously, one system has the power to override the old system. My mentor explained it this way. We're all familiar with the principle of gravity. I grabbed a rock from outside this morning. I would illustrate this for you personally and step off the stage, but then the teaching would end early and we wouldn't get to the big point. We all are familiar with the principle of gravity, the law of gravity, and we accept it even though we can't explain how it's there. We don't really understand. We just know it's there and it's always there, right? This rock, if I toss it up into the air, it is going to come down. It's not going to hang up in the air and stay there and float around. It's going to come down every wonderful time. It won't stay in the air. Gravity. It's a wonderful thing. Now, we can all pack up right now and go over to Little Rock, and we can go to the airport, and we can look at one plane, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of metal and plastic that make up this airplane. And the law of gravity says this airplane will not fly. It is going to fall out of the sky. The law of gravity says it. But then that plane takes off and it stays in the air, doesn't it? And it flies. We can't even make this rock hang in the air for a moment. We can't. But for that plane, did the law of gravity just give up and quit? No, it's still there. The law of gravity did not stop. It is still happening, still going on. But there's another law, a law that is stronger that overcomes the law of gravity, and it's the law of aerodynamics. And it allows those thousands of pounds of airplane and all the people in it and all their baggage in it, all of that weight to get off the ground and to stay up in the air as long as that plane has fuel. Now, nothing has happened to the law of gravity. Both laws are operating simultaneously. It's just that one overcomes the other. And here's what God says. Look, you're familiar with a lot of sin. A lot of sin and a lot of death. That's the system we grew up with. That's what we know about. We spend our lives operating in that system. People treat us one way based upon how we act and behave. We treat other people in ways based upon they, how they perform. And if we're right, then they're in, right? We do that. That's our life. And we think that Christianity is somehow a version of this law, this system. But Christianity is not a version of that at all. Christianity is a whole different thing. And Paul begins to break that down in the next verse, verse 3. He says, for what the law was powerless to do. In other words, that law, that whole law of if you perform, you're in. If you don't, you're out. So you better try harder and harder and do better and better. He said it was powerless to do. In that, it was weakened by the sinful nature. 
God did. Who did? God did. So God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. Why? To be a sin offering. And so he condemned not you and me, not mankind. He condemned sin in sinful man. You know what that's all about? That's about God saying, hey, look, the law is you trying to do your best. And we know that does not work. It doesn't work trying to get saved, and it doesn't work trying to stay in a good relationship with God where you're walking with Him. That whole system doesn't work for anything except death. Why? Because that system is based upon your best, and you trying harder, and you keeping the rules, it's solely dependent upon my ability to perform. And God says, look, listen, I already gave you an F in your performance. You can't perform good enough. And Paul says, watch this, what you could not do, God did for you. And that is the fundamental, basic building block of following Jesus. What you and I could not do in our effort and our strength, God didn't say, okay, now go and try harder, you know, go get a cheering squad, maybe some angels to get back there and cheer you on. Go, go, harder, harder, harder. You can do it faster, more. No, 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 no. He says you can't do it. So, so I did something for you, he says. What is it? He says, he sent his son Jesus as an offering, a payment for our sin. And in doing so, here's my favorite part. He doesn't condemn you. He condemns sin. He didn't condemn you. He condemns sin. And what does it mean to condemn? If he condemns sin, it means this, to alienate, to cast aside, to vanquish, to banish, to write off. And that's what he did to sin. Not to you, to sin. If you place yourself in Christ, in his new system, you know, he said that from now on, once you're in Christ, your sins and your sin cannot separate you and God anymore. God says, I've overpowered that cause and effect, sin and death relationship. I've overpowered it. Oh yeah, it's still operating. It is still there. But he says, in me, I have overcome it. And listen, that's unbelievable, isn't it? It's great news. It is great news. Wow. You say, okay, Harley, but I'm not very righteous. You know that? And I tell you, that's the old system. Because he says in Christ, he's giving you this gift of righteousness. Wow. Please don't miss this. He wants you to operate your Christian life from that vantage point and not revert back to this old system. Yeah. That old system that says, well, you know, I, I, I've done my best. And, you know, gosh, uh, 
I feel pretty good. Me and God are good today. Gosh, I let him down last week, though. We think, oh, okay, I'll make up. I'll, I'll give some money. I'll, I'll help Second Harvest Church start this new church in Malvern. And I, so I'll give him some money to that. And I'll, I'll read these chapters. Every day I'm going to read a chapter out of the Bible every day. And I know I missed three days last week. But, but I made up for it this week by reading extra chapters this week. So right now me and God are good. I'm back in with God. And God's going, well, there you go. That's religion. My son had to die to overcome that system. I've given you the gift of righteousness, being right with God. Oh, but God, I don't act very righteous. It's not what you do. Don't do that. It's not act better. It's been given to you. And if you are in this new system, that's how God, if you're in this new system. That's how God will relate to you forever. That's why you are non-condemnable. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? What God looks at when he sees you, I don't care what you've done. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no separation. There's not a splinter of sin that can slide in between you and God. Nothing like that can alter his love for you, his acceptance for you, because you didn't get in good with God by what you did, and you don't stay in good with God by what you do. It's because of what he did. And you were born into that new system, but if you'll place yourself under Christ, if you will give your life over to the care and the control of Jesus then you are non-condemnable. There is no potential or possibility of condemnation. And the next time we meet, we're going to talk more about that. But as we wrap this up, and the band's on their way, but just because the band's coming up, listen, don't, don't check out. This is the most important moment right now. If you're not a Christian, I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. If you'll just bear with me. What do I mean by if you're not a Christian? It means, well, maybe it means you don't even know where you stand with Christ. You have no idea. It means maybe that you believe there's a God, but, but you would not really say you have a relationship with him. You hope that you will one day, and you hope that, you know, you believe he's there, and, 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 you, and you hope, but you don't know. Maybe you kind of feel alienated right now. Maybe you kind of feel like, you know, there's something that's between you, keeping you apart. And you're trying to do this, you're trying to do some good things, maybe even came today or tuning in today just because you're thinking, if I do a few good things, i got to make up for some of this bad. You came today thinking, oh, I can get a star by my name if I just kind of watch today or take part today or if I'm here today. And somehow God's going to see that in my favor and kind of add that to the list of good for me. But I would say, no, 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 no. I, I don't feel close to God. Listen, if that's kind of where you are, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. If you don't know where you stand with God, or you don't think that you're a Christian, or you've never trusted Christ, I've got some good news for you, and I've got some bad news. First, the bad news. 
you are condemned. That's the bad news. So was I. I was too. But it's not because you haven't done enough. It's not because I didn't work hard enough that I was condemned. I, I, I was condemned because I can't do enough. It's the old system. I can't. It's because like you and me, we were born into this world that said, if you're going to make it, you've got to perform. And that's all it takes for us to be condemned in this world, just being born into this world, because that's the system we were born into. And here's the good news. The good news is that it is not a lifestyle that God is looking for. God is not going to watch you for a week and say, okay, yeah, I, you passed all the tests. I'm going to let you in. It's not that God is saying, okay, well, let's just see. I'm going to stand back and watch her for a while. And if she's good enough, then yeah, at the end of the week, I'll let her in. No, I'm talking about a moment in time, a decision that you make, a moment in time. It's like a birth. It's in a moment. You're not born over the course of years. It's a moment. And today's kind of like that. In a moment, you can be born. It's a new birth. In that moment of time, you can be taken out of the old system and in that moment immediately placed into the new system where there is no condemnation, a place of total acceptance by God. So tight with God that nobody, nobody will be tighter than you and God. And all you have to do is simply accept this gift of righteousness that he offers to you. It's you saying, God, I, I know, I know that I can't do it. I've tried. God, I know I'm not good enough. I've given my best. And right now, in this moment of time, God, you're not going to sit down and watch my behavior and decide later whether or not I was good enough for you to let me in. It is in this moment of time that I'm going to receive that gift of Jesus Christ as I accept you as my Savior, as I'm putting my life into your hands, into your care and your control. It was in mine, and now I'm going to put it in yours. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I'm putting my trust in the fact that you died for me, that you rose again for me. You paid the price. So I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to chase after you. Now, if while I've been talking today, if suddenly a light bulb came on for you and you suddenly said, you know what, I, I, I understand it. I finally understand it. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit, God Himself speaking to you. That's what happened to me years ago. And maybe you've heard this for the hundredth time, but today something changed. You finally got it and you said, okay, finally, now I get it. Just now, that's God speaking to you, His Spirit. Opening your eyes, opening your spirit to this whole thing, this whole thing. And you say, this whole time I've been thinking that I'm going to have to try harder and do better and commit more and live better and live better and live better. And that was the old system, the old system that whole time. And this is a new system. It's the system of the spirit of life in Christ. It's a system of receiving, not doing, accepting, not earning, trusting, not trying to prove I'm good enough. It is not doing it's receiving. And now I want to give you a chance. 
everyone in this room, anyone that it applies to, anyone listening with us online right now, I want to give you this chance to pray with me. I call this a me too prayer. I'm going to pray some words. It's not really the words that are so important. God is listening to your heart and the intent of your heart. This is not a magic spell. God's listening to what you mean, the intent of your heart. And if the words I'm going to use, if they apply to you, just say, hey, that's me too, God, that's me too. If you need to use other words, if God's putting other words on your heart, use those. That's fine. You don't have to use my words. But I just simply, if this applies to you and you are not connected with God, you can in this very moment connect with him eternally. A me too prayer. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm just going to say, if it applies to you, say me too, God, me too, that's me. That's me too. Or use your own words and that's okay too. You don't have to even say them out loud. He's listening to your heart. It's the trust that you're expressing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus on your behalf that is going to begin this relationship. And I just want you to say that to God. But before you hit submit on your connection card, on your smartphone, or before you turn in the paper version, will you, if you prayed this prayer with us, will you please mark it that for the first time you're making Jesus the boss of your life? Mark that on your connection card so we can know. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray right now. It's a me too prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not good enough. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I believe, Jesus, that when you died, you paid for all of my sins. And right now, this very moment, I no longer trust my good works, my effort, my best. I am trusting in what happened on the cross. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking my life and and placing it in your care and your control. I'm giving it to you. Thank you for giving me back eternal life with you. Thank you for placing me in a relationship with you based upon what you have done. It's a place where I can no longer be condemned, only loved and accepted by you, my heavenly Father, who will always, always, always come looking for me. And heavenly Father, for those of us who have already been following you, but we have drifted back into trying to earn our position with you. Forgive us, those Christians who were saved by grace, but we've been operating based upon the old way of trying to earn your relationship. In these next few weeks, we ask that will you set us free from that thinking, Lord Jesus so that we can have a relationship with you based upon what you did alone. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And with that, we say, Amen.